Welcome to the Adelaide Living Podcast, where we share the stories of the city. Adelaide is a city shaped by stories. Those of the traditional owners of the land and of our increasingly diverse community. Each story is unique, but what links them is the place of Adelaide, a city designed for life. So join us as we uncover inspiring stories of the people of Adelaide. It is our stories that bind us together. Lewis Yolaboka O'Brien once said, when you live in a place, you learn all the stories of that place. Uncle Lewis, a Ghana elder, is acknowledged for the ways he uses stories to powerfully blend Aboriginal and Western ways of knowing. It is a skill shared by his son, Michael O'Brien, Uncle Mickey, who is as generous in sharing cultural stories and wisdom. Today, we are going to hear some of those stories, including one of how some people say that Mala Willaburka, one of the last full-blood Ghana people, worked with South Australia's first Surveyor-General, Colonel William Light, when he was designing the city, telling him about the spirit of the land itself and the importance of having life-saving green belts. Let's hear more on this story and many others from Uncle Mickey as he welcomes us to country. When we welcome people to our country, it's welcoming, um, it's valuing people that you welcome. And so therefore you're doing it with them, not at them. And uh, and that's really important. Really, we should say, um, Nina Mani, which is, uh, hello, and how are you? And Nai Nari Kamatbi Maricha. So welcome, yeah, welcome to the, the lands of the Ghana people. And my Aboriginal name is Kamatbi Maricha, which means... I'm the sixth-born male of my family and uh, as an ambassador of the Ghana people and uh, as my Aboriginal name says, I'm known as the impatient one. And you're also known as Uncle Mickey. So, yeah, so Mickey is sort of one of those things that you want people to to be friendly with you. You don't want them to to be, you know, what you would say, uh, stiff and uh, resistant. And so it's about being open and honest, isn't it? It's also a sign of respect. Now, you are clearly a great storyteller. I gather you learnt this from your father, Uncle Lewis Eula Burke O'Brien, as well as his skills in bringing together Aboriginal ways of knowing with Western philosophy. Since you mentioned Dad, I think it's what's really important first uh, is that, you know, Dad um, is certainly, when you consider that uh, he was a child that uh, ended up in state care and was born on an Aboriginal mission, and really had those uh, struggles of disconnection of, of his culture uh, and particularly his family. He, before he went into state care at the age of 12, was looking after six of his siblings because his mother was uh, poorly ill but and sadly died. And so, you know, Dad has always been on this journey and continues to be on that journey, even at the age of 89 now, that he's not only has helped um, bring culture back to himself, but he's helped bring culture back to all of us. Um, whether it be in the language, whether it be in the sharing of our philosophies and and the cultural stories and knowledge and the wisdom of our people across this land through his time, spending with those elders, looking in those books, 
um, and spending it with uh, a variety of people of not just only Aboriginal cultures from around our nation, even uh, wider and, and people from um, many other nations that that we have uh, come and, and also go to. And, uh, and so, you know, he's... Uh, been uh, very inspirational and, uh, in, and really has led the way uh, with many of these things and one of his I think uh, great philosophies is he, he talks about this uh, word mooka mooka being two halves being the brain which really is about reciprocity mutual benefit which is about two-ness which is about giving and receiving and so Aboriginal people have worked on that philosophy of understanding that everything is in balance and in harmony and so we look after things because we know that when our time comes that we leave our body, we travel to the spirit world and therefore we return back to this world, whether it be uh, not in the human form, but it may be in the landscape, it may be in the animals or in the skies. And, and so therefore uh, we have this holistic view of always uh, continually thinking in harmony and balance. And, you know, whether it be those sort of sharing of philosophies, the understanding of the knowledge and wisdom, but but also even the language, you know, our language, the Ghana language was uh, sadly, like most languages across Australia, was, was against the law to speak. Luckily for us, the German missionaries recorded some 3,000 words and my father, along with a number of other elders in our community, brought the language back. Uh, so now we have some Ghana speakers. Um, I myself can speak some of the language, but currently learning to, to speak it so that hopefully one day I can speak it in a, a conversing or fluency uh, way rather than in a scripted way, which uh, I, I sort of am really doing at the moment. Because bringing back the language is terribly important because how, how can you tell a story yeah. if you don't have the language? Well, and you're exactly right. And I mean, what's fascinating about our language, I think, uh, though it's uh, at times it feels very complicated, it was, um, and like our people, our people were visual, oral, and um, what you would say, doing people. And so therefore, it even is in our, our words. I mean, when you look at Adelaide itself, it's known as Tandendunga, being the dreaming place of the big red kangaroo. Well, it's telling you, that the, the kangaroo was embedded into this landscape and, uh, and the spirit of this place. Like when you look at Torrens River, it's known as uh, Karawirapara, which means that it's the uh, Red Gum Forest River. So it's telling you, you can get wood, you can get water, you can get shelter, and therefore you can have all the things necessary to, to live along that river. So our people name places not because we gave them names, because we come to know those places. Therefore, the place itself told us what it was. And so therefore, we shared that information because it really is the landscape of the place. And, um, and it was really important because when you had people visiting your nation, you needed to know, well, where am I going to find water and, and uh, wood and for fire and so forth? Well, you know that you're going to do that if you go to Karawirapara being the Torrens River. And same with if you go to Tanendunga being, you know, the kangaroo. If you want food, well, you're going to find kangaroos there, aren't you? And, and so really it was describing the landscapes itself. But what's really interesting uh, about Tanendunga is a number of things. And we can go back to really those early days of Colonel Light, who was a great surveyor and mapped out the city of Adelaide. And, you know, some people say that he mapped out Adelaide not just because he put it in the system of a grid system of north, south, east, west uh, sort of system, but also putting in the green belts. 
But Mullawilla Burke, one of the last of the full-blood Ghana people, worked with Colonel Light and told him the the spirit of the, the land itself and told him about the fact that it's important to have green belts because it gives you safety in fires. It also enables people to have spaces to go. But what some people don't even recognise is that Colonel Light actually shaped Adelaide in a kangaroo. It's not in the, what you would say, the immediate looking aspect of it, but it's actually, its elements are there. So there is the ears of the kangaroo, the tail, the hind leg, the chest and the paw of the kangaroo. And if people take the outline of the city of Adelaide, they'll see that kangaroo in the embedded in the landscape. So it, tell me, where, where would I find the ears? Just, uh, just so down to, near uh, to Gattaville Terrace and stuff. To yeah. Gattaville Terrace and yeah. the ears. Yeah, and so when you go down to uh, sort of the West Terrace, Anzac Highway, that's where you find uh, the other elements of the kangaroo, the hind leg and the, um, and the tail. And so, and you can see clearly the chest because it steps down in its description or, or its streets as they uh, are formed. And so it's really amazing. And then when you look at North Adelaide being the emu, it's really clearly in there the um, outline that it is an emu. Uh, but what's really also amazing is that Victoria Square is not a square, it's actually the Garner Shield. And so that element is embedded right in the heart of the city. Now, Adelaide itself was known as a place of conference and we actually had a word called Bamba Bambaya. And so many of our nation's peoples met in Adelaide to, to share in dance, polties, or to share in language, to share in cultural elements, exchange of artefacts or ochres. And, and so people came here and uh, as we see, Adelaide is known as the conference uh, state. But what's really important is Adelaide or South Australia itself sits in the heart of, of our nation, being in the middle. So therefore, when you take those elements of the kangaroo, the emu and the shield, where do we find those elements? In our national crest. And so therefore, South Australia or Adelaide is the First Nations people's capital of this nation because those elements are clearly put in the landscape. And we can take that even one step further because what people really don't know is that South Australia had three flags. The first flag had the Union Jack with the Southern Cross. The final flag that we currently use has the piping strike. But the second flag had two people on it. It had an Aboriginal person and a person from Britannia, a lady, uh, reaching out to, to be welcomed by the Aboriginal person who's sitting on a rock throne. But what's really amazing is what's carved in the rock above the Aboriginal person's head is a kangaroo and Adelaide is known as the place of the kangaroo. And so when we talk about spiritual connections, it is really emphasised in all of those elements and it shows you that the place itself tells you what it's about and whether you say people did it deliberately or whether the landscape uh, told them or whether Mullawilla Burka, who was one of those great leaders of our people, encouraged Colonel Light, it's there. And that's what is really, and obviously we can't, you know, find out exactly what really transpired between those conversations of Mullawilla Burka and Colonel Light. It would be wonderful if we could, but, you know, when you consider that Adelaide is known as the Plains, a flat piece of land, so therefore, why are these elements put in there? Because, you know, he could have chose any design, but he chose those designs. And, um, and so you've got to really uh, see that the spirit of 
of the uh, the landscape is in the design and and it's not just only in that there's a number of other elements that also provide us that knowledge that Adelaide is known as the kangaroo. What else do we have? Well you take the time to go to the top of Bryan's Road and Hampstead Road at night time and you're coming from the east heading to the west and if you get to stop at Hampstead and Bryan's Road and look over towards roughly about West Lakes you'll see that the lights themselves form the shape of the kangaroo. It's amazing to see that. I, When my father first told me that, uh, as well as the landscape of Adelaide itself shaped in kangaroo, I uh, first thought that maybe had maybe a couple too many wines, but when I saw it, I mean, it really is there and, uh, and it's really amazing to sort of see. Sadly, it's been destroyed a little bit because the Northern Expressway has come through it now and so it cuts off a, a part of the the shape now but yeah I encourage people and I've taken many a people there and and uh, people see the kangaroo I'm, I'm on my way to see the kangaroo yeah. what else do we do we have here that we haven't seen we haven't we haven't had our eyes opened to see like we we're talking you know stories do make up this place I mean when you look at one of the um, most important stories of our landscape is the Jabruki story which is talks of, again, one of our last of the, the great uh, Ghana people. And that story itself starts from Mudlunga being the top of the peninsula here, being the nose, Mudlunga being the nose of the peninsula, uh, which is around Outer Harbour there. Basically, that story goes all the way along that coast right down to Cape Jervis. And so it talks about the story of how the water springs that are found along there were formed. Because sadly, when he was hunting emu, his nephew broke the law and though he uh, gave his nephew the opportunity to be forgiven, sadly his nephew's um, brothers punished him by enforcing the law not knowing that uh, Jilbrookie had that conversation. And So wherever he cried, the water springs arose, so therefore we know that there's water along the, the, the coast along there. Um, but also it talks about how the landscape itself was formed. It also talks about how to hunt emus because when you go to Mudlunga, you used to force the emus into the nose of the peninsula because they had nowhere to run because the water would uh, surround them. What was also interesting is that when he was so saddened by the loss of his uh, great-nephew, he um, decided to not be a part of this earth again and so he he took the feathers of another bird and, and he ended up turning himself into the glossy ibis. And so every time we see the glossy ibis, we know Jibuki is talking to us. And, and so, again, those landscapes and, and one that's even more amazing is Nanu. Nanu is the, the person who basically named the areas and, and in some ways helped create the landscape of Adelaide. Now, his face or head is embedded in the rocks at uh, Marialta. But unless you're ready to see him, you will not see him. And so therefore you have to be in the right place at the right angle of viewing to be able to see him in the landscape. And when you see him, you will know that you've seen him because he is the head of an Aboriginal man. And, uh, and it is amazing. And I had that opportunity to see him for the first time this year. Yeah, I was uh, really blown away to, to see the face of Nanu in the in the landscape there. And it's amazing once you do get to see it because... Well, you, once you've seen it, you can never unsee it, can you? No, and uh, 
you, you may have seen or heard of those places like where all the presidents are. Um, oh, they're, they're carved, carved they're they? carved yeah. in the rocks and they're amazing. I've been there and I've seen I those, um, uh, Mount Rushmore, that's mm-hmm. the word, Mount Rushmore. And um, But when you see this, you think that his face has been carved into the rocks because it looks like a, an Aboriginal man. Now, of course, everyone's going to want to know where in Moriarty. Can't tell you. You have to be in the right place. You have to find him, you know, and he has to basically, in a sense, uh, yeah, expose himself to you. Because it was your father who said, when you live in a place, you learn all the stories of that place. So between you and your father, you've been very generous in sharing your stories. Yep. And with our stories, so that we are building a better sense of place. Of course. So how can we continue to do that? Well, you know, South Australia in some ways is an amazing place because um, not only we were pioneers in whether you look at things like legislations or policies like giving women the opportunity to to vote and, um, and as we know, we're coming up to... Uh, that particular big thing of uh, women's suffrage. But, you know, the Nuttingery people of our, our southern, southern eastern uh, area, they were known to be the politicians and they um, had the right to vote way before any other Aboriginal group did. And, and when, when uh, Federation came in, they still had the ability to vote, even though other Aboriginal people didn't. So there were clever people in our landscape. And, but when you actually look at it, South Australia was uh, set up in, obviously, 1836. And we know this because our busball team is called the 36ers for that very reason. But sometimes uh, people don't even see the landscapes that tells us the stories and history. If you ask people, well, who was the king of the day? They couldn't tell you most of the time. But if they know the main street of Adelaide is King William, they'll work it out. Mm. And if you ask them who the queen was... Again, they won't know, but if you say, what's the city of Adelaide or city of South Australia, it's Adelaide. And so, therefore, these things are in the landscape. But what was really amazing about the king is he he wrote a letter called the Letters Patent, which sadly sits on the records shelf department and in a big wooden box. But he wrote some special words, which you could say is not only maybe a a treaty or a reconciliation statement, which, which says that he wanted the Aboriginal people to own and occupy the land that they stood upon. Now, sadly for the Aboriginal people, that never happened. And the reason being was, one, he died six months after writing that letter. Two, the letter itself never reached the shores of South Australia until 1904, which was after Federation when the the laws changed. Each state had laws when it came to Aboriginal people. And and Governor Hindmarsh himself obviously chose to do something different, even though he was instructed by the king. Because we know this because that flag that I talked about... Well, that was actually the common seal of South Australia right from the very beginning of of colonisation. So every legal document in those early days was stamped with that image. So it tells you that this was a place of connection of two cultures, two worlds. And what happened to that common seal? When did it go out of (laughs) common use? Well, that's the big question. You find these things sometimes out of pure luck, but... I've been on a journey to try and find these images and um, those knowledges and information about it, but uh, yet to find it. But, you know, people don't know this, and I love sharing these stories because 
what it does is it opens a different world. It gives a different perspective on how we look at the world, how we look at Aboriginal people, how we look at culture, how we look even at the, the formation of this beautiful state of ours. And when we look at those contexts, you, you really have, I think, a, a different picture, a, a more balanced and beautiful picture. And when we go back to that early aspect of talking about muka muka, uh, you know, this tunis, it really, South Australia was about that. And uh, sadly, it didn't really come to those heights for various reasons, as I said. It didn't come to those heights, and yet your the work you do and your father before you have done to yep. try and bring back that blending of Western philosophy and Aboriginal ways of knowing has been very, very strong. I mean, that's embedded, I think, in all of our, most of our universities in their their science courses, their medical courses, their health professional courses of bringing those two together, it's very, very strong. How can we continue to build on that? Well, you know, sadly, you know, Aboriginal people, we we sometimes get titles that we don't really deserve. And uh, we're very patient people. And uh, really, we are very passive people. As uh, Stan Grant clearly put one time, you know, we're people that are surviving. And what he means is that really Aboriginal people, not at that point where they're flourishing in this Western world, you know, because sadly we overrepresent in many of the areas of poor health, education, living, you know, housing, all of those things, employment. And so we're not flourishing, we're just surviving. And I think a lot of that comes through the fact that you know, we've got the oldest living culture in our doorstep. Many of us will travel to many places around the world to see these cultural icons or knowledges, yet when it comes to the Aboriginal people and their knowledges, we ignore them. We see them as primitive. We don't see them uh, in the aspect that they were philosophers, they were politicians, they were scientists, they were people that had great knowledges of um, plants and and the landscape and how to maintain it and, and medicines. And many of our medicines uh, have the elements and knowledges of Aboriginal people's wisdom. And we're using them in uh, many modern medicines. And now what we're seeing is a growth in these aspects of foods. Like, you know, when we talk about um, Aboriginal people, we, we were led to believe that we were largely hunters and gatherers, but a gentleman by the name of Bruce Pascoe recently proved that we actually are farmers as well, and we made farming implements, we uh, grew yams, we grew kangaroo grass to make bread. We're actually the oldest bread makers in the world, and and they found uh, these grinding stones and elements that really demonstrated uh, our ability to, to understand the landscape itself and the importance of places and these landscapes. And it shows you the, really, in a sense, uh, the great understanding of Aboriginal people. I mean, when you look at what is known as the Onkaparinga River, or as we used to call it, the Nunkiparinga, is actually known as the Women's River. And if you actually take an aerial view of that river, the river forms the shape of the internal fertility organs of a woman, being the uh, fallopian tubes uh, and so forth. Now, how did they do We didn't have drones or any of those sorts of things, but they knew this. And so uh, people could read the landscape, and that's why uh, there were many of them were taken in wartime to read the landscapes to in foreign lands so they could find water and shelter and, and protection. And, and 
you know, a gentleman by the name of Fred Hollows who worked tirelessly in Aboriginal communities to improve the eyesight for Aboriginal people. His wife, Gabby, tested the eyesight of Aboriginal people and found that it was four times greater than the average person. And so it shows you the, the length of how pe- our people were great observers as well as being great listeners but, but also great doing people. And that's why we were able to survive in a, a land that is regarded as the driest continent in the world. You know, you don't do that just by chance. You know, and what's wonderful is today we have this opportunity to see this embracement, you know, whether it be people wanting to see welcome to country, whether people are wanting to have um, reconciliation action plans. And so I think, you know, that's what's truly wonderful. You know, like I said, we're, we're seeing, you know, the foods being now becoming very popular and it's giving opportunities for Aboriginal people to not only share that knowledge, but be a part of those uh, journeys uh, that people are, are wanting to do to explore. And, and I think, you know, that's what gives us all purpose, gives us all identity and, and really, in some ways, a face to, to really, in a sense, uh, be connectable and proud of, uh, of a culture that, um, that sits in our backyard, really. We should display it more. I mean, if you were to really be honest and if you were to visit South Australia itself, the cultural elements that you really largely see is the flag. And really, that's not the cultural elements of of a culture because that was created in the the 70s and uh, as a modern way of uh, giving unity to Aboriginal people. It is a symbol, but the culture itself is, is not really... Uh, largely embedded in the landscape and I think which is wonderful which is the city of Adelaide are certainly doing is that they're um, dual naming areas now which gives that exposure to understanding the the language as well as the landscape itself and so you know they're, they're certainly great aspects to understanding the culture but we don't really have iconic places you know if you were to talk about uh, some of our religious groups you see those iconic religious places don't you if you were to talk about even some of our cultural groups they have cultural places to help celebrate and and to really um, uh, embrace and share uh, in the community but when you talk about aboriginal culture from its purest sense there's not a real place that demonstrates what the culture the history the knowledges, the wisdom, and really, in a sense, uh, that continuous ability to share. I mean, you know, myself, who's, I suppose, taking my own cultural journey, I mean, I'm having to learn language in a, a classroom now, uh, whereas one time you would have learned it from your your family, your your, your aunties and uncles and, and obviously your peers, and, and did that in a community setting. But now you've got to do it in a classroom setting, which is also in a written form as much as it is in a verbal form. To learn about the native plants, you know, really, you, you go to another source of people who have taken an interest in understanding those native uh, plants and what the benefits are, uh, people like Bruce Pascoe. And then, you know, from the artefacts point of view, I go to another person who's from another cultural group who enables you know us to to learn some of those understandings of how to create uh, shields or clapsticks or a woomera, but I mean there is quite interestingly people uh, not just from the Aboriginal community but the non-Aboriginal community that are, are starting to recognising um, these 
I suppose, uh, knowledges, wisdoms or benefits. Uh, I think that can enable us to to really give culture um, a proper place in our nation, which is really it should be not only in our education system, it should be really in everything that we see or do across this landscape because if you're not doing that, you're denying really uh, our history and our place and purpose upon uh, this land really. Our people believe that, you know, when you walk the land, you connect with the land and no one person holds all the knowledge and wisdom, it's shared. And so therefore, if people take that time to want to learn, we as Aboriginal people are happy to share that information and we can learn from each other. And more importantly, we can have uh, what is really a place that embraces both the cultural world and the Western world. Thank you very much. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Adelaide Living Podcast, which is brought to you by the City of Adelaide. Discover more stories about people, places and projects having a meaningful impact on our city by subscribing to this podcast or visiting the Adelaide Living website at living.cityofadelaide.com.au.